This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of spinal muscular atrophy from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Spinal muscular atrophy is a common genetic disease caused by an autosomal recessive mutation in the survival motor neuron gene. The condition presents with progressive motor weakness, scoliosis, hip dislocations, and lower extremity contractures. Diagnosis is made by DNA analysis and muscle biopsy. Treatment involves a multidisciplinary approach to address motor weakness, scoliosis, and lower extremity contractures. Treatment of associated hip dislocation is observation. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence of spinal muscular atrophy, this is the most common genetic disease resulting in death during childhood, and is seen in 1 in 10,000 live births. As far as anatomic location, spinal muscular atrophy manifests with progressive weakness that starts proximally and moves distally. Moving on to etiology, the pathophysiology of spinal muscular atrophy is caused by progressive loss of alpha motor neurons in the anterior horn of the spinal cord. In terms of genetics, the inheritance pattern of spinal muscular atrophy is autosomal recessive. In terms of mutation, this condition involves a survival motor neuron or SMN gene mutation. This is present in 90% of cases of spinal muscular atrophy and involves a telomeric gene deletion. Keep in mind that survival motor neuron or SMN is critical to RNA metabolism and is a mediator of apoptosis. There are two types of SMN genes, and all patients with spinal muscular atrophy lack SMN1 protein. The severity of disease is based on the number of functional copies of SMN2. Associated orthopedic manifestations of spinal muscular atrophy include hip dislocation and subluxation, scoliosis, and lower extremity contractures. As far as the classification of spinal muscular atrophy, there are three types. Type 1 is called acute Werdenich-Hoffmann disease, and as far as presentation, this condition is present at less than 6 months, patients will have absent deep tendon reflexes and tongue fasciculations. The prognosis is typically poor, and the patient usually dies by 2 years of age. Type 2 is named chronic Werdenich-Hoffmann disease, and as far as presentation, this condition presents at 6 to 12 months, and muscle weakness is worse in the lower extremities. These patients can sit, but they cannot walk. As far as prognosis, these patients may live to the fifth decade of life. Finally, moving on to type 3 spinal muscular atrophy, this is named Kugelberg-Wellander disease, and as far as presentation, this condition is present at 2 to 15 years old, patients will have proximal weakness, Patients will walk as children, however, will be wheelchair-bound as an adult. As far as prognosis, these patients will have a normal life expectancy, however, may need respiratory support. As far as presentation of spinal muscular atrophy, symptoms are typically symmetric progressive weakness that is more profound in the lower extremity than the upper extremity and is more profound proximally than distally. On physical exam, patients may have absent deep tendon reflexes, which distinguishes from Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, where deep tendon reflexes are present. Patients with spinal muscular atrophy will also have fasciculations present. As far as imaging, radiographs should include a scoliosis series and pelvis radiographs. In terms of evaluation, diagnosis of spinal muscular atrophy is based on DNA analysis, muscle biopsy, and keep in mind that prenatal diagnosis is possible. As far as treatment of spinal muscular atrophy, this can be non-operative or operative. As far as non-operative management, know that nusinersen has been FDA-approved for treatment of spinal muscular atrophy. This is administered intrathecally. Operative options include treating associated orthopedic disorders, like hip dislocation, scoliosis, and lower extremity contractures. 
keep in mind that hip subluxation and dislocation can occur in 62% of patients with type 2 spinal muscular atrophy, and less frequently in type 3. Treatment for this will be non-operative, which is observation alone, meaning that you will leave the patient dislocated. This is the standard of care as dislocations typically remain painless and there is a high recurrence rate if open reduction is attempted. Moving on to scoliosis in the setting of spinal muscular atrophy, the development of scoliosis is almost universal in these patients. It usually occurs by age 2 to 3 years old and is often progressive. Treatment can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes bracing. However, keep in mind that devices may delay but not prevent surgery in children younger than 10 years old. Operative options include posterior spinal fusion with fusion to the pelvis. This is indicated in the setting of progressive curves. As far as the technique, be sure to address hip contractures and any other lower extremity contractures before posterior spinal fusion to ensure seating balance. Be sure to allow for intrathecal nusinersen to be given after spine surgery, perform a laminectomy in the lower lumbar spine that is kept free of fusion, and then perform fusion of the spine around this laminectomy. As far as outcomes, posterior spine fusion with fusion to the pelvis allows for improved wheelchair sitting, however may lead to temporary loss of upper extremity function. Combined posterior spine fusion with anterior releases slash fusion can be indicated for curves greater than 100 degrees. It's also indicated for very young children with high risk of the crankshaft phenomenon. Contraindications to this include pulmonary compromise. Typically, this option is not necessary due to the high flexibility of spinal muscular atrophy curves. Finally, moving on to contractures in the setting of spinal muscular atrophy. These are common in the hip and the knee. Non-ambulators also develop ankle equinus. Treatment is physical therapy, as surgical release is controversial, as function in non-walkers is rarely improved and recurrence is common. As far as the prognosis of spinal muscular atrophy, severity of disease is based on the number of functional copies of SMN2. Type 1 SMA has the worst prognosis, with the majority of patients dying by age 2. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. Survival motor neuron protein deficiency leads to, and the choices are one, progressive replacement of muscle tissue with fibrous and fatty tissue causing calf pseudohypertrophy, two, loss of anterior horn cells and progressive muscle weakness, three, abnormal chondroid production by chondroblasts in the proliferative zone of the physis, four, disturbances in cell metabolism with accumulation of sphingolipids in the liver, spleen, and bone marrow, and five, fetal acetylcholine receptor inhibition and non-progressive joint contractures. The correct answer to this question is two, loss of anterior horn cells and progressive muscle weakness. So spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, is caused by a deficiency in survival motor neuron proteins. Deficiency of these proteins leads to progressive loss of anterior horn cells and progressive muscle weakness in children. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, progressive replacement of muscle tissue with fibrous and fatty tissue causing calf pseudohypertrophy is incorrect, as this describes Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Answer three, abnormal chondroid production by chondroblasts in the proliferative zone of the physis is incorrect, as this describes achondroplasia. Answer four, disturbances in cell metabolism with accumulation of sphingolipids in the liver, spleen, and bone marrow is incorrect, as this describes Gaucher's disease. And finally, answer 5, fetal acetylcholine receptor inhibition and non-progressive joint contractures is incorrect, as this describes arthrograposis. 
To quickly review once again, spinal muscular atrophy is an autosomal recessive disease characterized by a mutation in the survival motor neuron or SMN gene. This mutation causes a lack of the survival motor neuron proteins. The severity of disease is directly related to the reduction of circulating levels of SMN proteins. For example, this can explain why SMA type 1 produces lower levels of circulating SMN proteins and also why it's considered a more severe disease compared to SMA types 2 and 3. Sucato et al. examined spine deformity in SMA. The type of scoliosis in SMA is a long, C-shaped, right-sided thoracolumbar curve which is more flexible and progresses more rapidly than an idiopathic curve. Surgery is recommended with curves greater than 50 degrees. Mesfin et al. reviewed the orthopedic manifestations of SMA. Common orthopedic issues include scoliosis, with a prevalence of between 60 to 95%, proximal muscle weakness, and hip subluxation slash dislocation, with a prevalence of 29 to 62%. Scoliosis is often refractory to conservative treatment and may require growing rods in young children with progressive curves or instrumented posterior spinal fusions in older patients. As a general rule, curves should be surgically managed when greater than 40 degrees. In children less than 9 years old, use growing rods, and in children greater than 10 with curves of greater than 40 degrees, should be managed with posterior spinal fusion. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following is incorrect regarding scoliosis in the setting of spinal muscular atrophy? And the choices are 1. Curve flexibility tends to be higher than for idiopathic curves. 2. Most curves tend to be long, C-shaped thoracolumbar curves. 3. The primary surgical goal for correction is to obtain fusion in a position that will maintain sitting balance and prevent decline of pulmonary function. 4. Curve magnitude correlates strongly with ambulatory status. And 5. Anterior release slash fusion with posterior fusion are typically required for adequate surgical correction. The correct answer to this question is 5. Anterior release slash fusion with posterior fusion are typically required for adequate surgical correction. So only rarely is anterior release required to achieve surgical correction in patients with SMA, which is why 5 is the correct answer in this question asking which is incorrect regarding scoliosis in the setting of spinal muscular atrophy. The other choices are all true descriptions of scoliosis in SMA. The goal of fusion in non-ambulatory patients is stabilization of sitting. To quickly review, scoliosis in the setting of SMA manifests most commonly with long C-shaped thoracolumbar curves which are highly flexible. These curves have high progression rates despite bracing. The natural history of the scoliosis is progressive sitting imbalance which requires use of the upper extremities to maintain an upright sitting position. Thus, the primary surgical goal of correction is to obtain fusion in a position that will improve sitting balance and free the patient's upper extremities for other tasks. Sucato reviewed scoliosis in the setting of SMA. He reported that the indications for anterior release and fusion when correcting scoliosis in SMA includes large curves defined as greater than 100 degrees, very young patients who are at high risk of crankshaft phenomenon, and patients who have no substantial pulmonary disease. Apron et al. reviewed 22 patients with SMA scoliosis treated with Harrington or Dwyer instrumentation and found that the most common complication of anterior release and fusion was atelectasis and pneumonitis. The major late complication for all patients was decrease in the chest wall diameter, which they attributed to either progressive neuromuscular disease or from postoperative casting. And moving on to the final question, a newborn infant is born with tongue fasciculations. In addition, the child has absent deep tendon reflexes and hypotonia. Which of the following abnormalities is most likely responsible for these findings? And the choices are 1. Gene mutation in SMN1, 
Two, deficiency of dystrophin protein. Three, beta-galactosidase deficiency. Four, gene mutation in COMP. And five, gene mutation in COL1A1. The correct answer to this question is one, gene mutation in SMN1. So tongue fasciculations, absent deep tendon reflexes, and hypotonia should raise suspicion for spinal muscular atrophy. SMA is associated with a survival motor neuron 1 or SMN1 gene. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, deficiency of dystrophin protein, is incorrect, as dystrophin is the protein that is absent in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Answer 3, beta-galactosidase deficiency, is incorrect, as beta-galactosidase is deficient in patients with Morchio syndrome, type B. Answer 4, gene mutation in COMP is incorrect, as COMP is the gene for pseudoachondroplasia. Finally, answer 5, gene mutation in COL1A1 is incorrect, as COL1A1 is the gene for osteogenesis imperfecta. To quickly review, spinal muscular atrophy refers to a disorder characterized by muscular atrophy secondary to degeneration of the spinal motor neurons. Type 1 spinal muscular atrophy, or Wardening-Hoffman disease, is a rare form of SMA presenting in infants. It is an autosomal recessive condition characterized by the degeneration of the anterior horn cells, leading to profound symmetrical weakness and wasting of voluntary muscle. Genetic testing for the SMN1 gene is useful in establishing the correct diagnosis as it's present in 90% of affected individuals. Mesfin et al. reviewed the orthopedic manifestations of SMA. In patients age 9 or less with scoliotic curves of greater than 40 degrees, they recommend growing rods anchored to the pelvis. In those 10 or older with scoliotic curves of greater than 40 degrees, they recommended posterior spinal fusion with pedicle screws. Hocker et al. provide a review that focuses on orthopedic management of the disease, including scoliosis, muscular contractures, hip joint disorders, fractures, technical devices, and a comparative approach of conservative and surgical treatment. That's all for this review about spinal muscular atrophy. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.